Lord God, we thank you for Dave. We thank you for the blessing that he is to our church family, to the Woodlands Church family. Spirit, would you fill him now? Would you empower him to share what you've put on his heart to share this morning? And would you help us all to be ready to receive the message that you have for us this morning? Yeah, encourage us, Lord. Challenge us where we need a bit of a challenge. Yeah, and inspire us too through what Dave shares. Bless him, Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, here we are, slowing down for for God, slowing down for summer. But the point of slowing down is to slowing down for God, isn't it? And um, today's theme, simplicity. Edinburgh were thinking, who's the simplest person we know? Who's got? Who's a simple fella? I know. Well, that's David to go. Um, actually, I got a I got a text, not a WhatsApp, from Ed and Deborah yesterday, and it's a picture of them in the south of France going out for pizza and being served by my daughter-in-law's brother and sister. <laughs> so that is a small world, isn't it? Um, so I hope you're having a great time, Ed and Dev, and family. No, simplicity. Um, we're going to read from Luke's Gospel, and, and Jesus gives this really uh, insightful parable about the vulnerability of just pursuing more stuff and uh, the inadequacy of it. So we'll read it from Luke 12, 13 to 34. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain man yielded an, enormous, an abundant harvest, and he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns, build bigger ones, then I'll store my surplus grain. I'll say to myself, you've plenty of grain laid up for many years. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. We, we live in a, in a world where acquiring stuff is, is all too easy. Now, there, are, there is another stream, aren't there? There, there are minimalists, the people who try and live uh, in the woods and live without an income for a year, but on the whole, society drives us to have more stuff. Now, I, I live in a community, and actually yesterday we had a big party. Matt and Annie were there, and Nathan, and I don't know anyone else here, but we, we had a big kind of celebration because we've been running a community house for 27 years, and we're going to be closing soon because Muller's, who, who um, owned the property, are going to be selling it. But um, one of our values, our core values as community, is simplicity. And I think, um, how do you, you know, actually, if you come to, to our house, you think, gosh, that's an enormous house with a lot of people in it. Is that simple? But what we mean by simplicity is means that we don't have to own stuff because we have things in common. And one of our values when we moved into the house was to try and live more simply so we, we weren't having to spend as much on ourselves so we had more money to give away, more money to, to give to Kingdom Causes. So... You know, once a month we have a kind of a remember the poor time. We have a charitable um, priority for that month. And, and 
out of our surpluses, what can we give away? And the fact that we don't all have to own a washing machine because we share it in common. We don't have to own stuff. Just to try and stop having things get a grip on you. But honestly, over the 27 years that we've lived there, our standard of living has gone up and up and up. You know, it's just kind of the way it is. It kind of feels like, hmm, we love to have stuff. And in fact, I've acquired a lot of stuff living in a big house. The number of sofas I own. So uh, when we downsize and move into a little ex-council house, we'll have a lot of stuff to get rid of. And, and stuff comes my way. And if I'm honest, I, qu I quite like stuff. I don't know whether how it works for you if you're married, whether one of you is a bit more into having things and one of you less so. But I think my wife, Tina, is a little bit austere. She doesn't really like having lots of stuff. And I like having lots of stuff. And um, she's always trying to get me to, oh, you don't really need that, David, or send that to a charity shop or whatever it is. You know. But, but I, I really like having stuff. I'm quite acquisitive, really. And so for me, living, trying to live more simply, trying not to accumulate things is a discipline. And it's a discipline that I think is good for me. But I think, what are the, where are the impulses for more? Where do they come from? And I think the impulse of fear is quite a strong one around acquiring stuff. Will there be enough to go around? Will there be enough? Actually, that's one of the things that drives planetary greed at the moment, isn't it? Because I think as wealthy Western nations, we want to hold on to our big slice of the cake. And there are some very unjust trade systems in the world today because we're not sure there's enough to go around. And probably there isn't enough to go around if everyone was to have a standard of living based on Western capitalism. That's not really sustainable. And, and the fear that there's not going to be enough can make us want to possess, hoard, grab, hold on to things. I think the second thing that's a bit of an impulse for more is competition and comparison. First of all, the competition. Um, actually, my status is going to look like this, depending on what I have, the car I drive. Actually, I'm worth this. If my colleague is earning this much, surely I should be earning this much. It's the comparison trap, isn't it, that says, actually, if I have less than someone around me, then I'm going to feel deprived, even if on a global perspective I'm wealthy. And I think the drive for comparison and competition can actually drive quite a lot of acquisitive um, dynamics in our lives. But there's something you know, even more basic than that, and that is just appetite and, 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 and greed. Um, enjoyment of stuff. Money can't buy me love, but it can buy me quite a lot of things, can't it? Um, and that, that we, can, we can want to have stuff because of our appetite. Because we just, we like it, so we'll have it. And that can be the expense of, of, of doing good. I think, um, of course, there, there are other reasons why we want to accumulate. <coughs> we, we, we may want, like the farmer in the, in the story, to invest for the future. We may want to be investing for our retirement or for our, our, our kids and their kids. But we live in a, in a world which is driven by a capitalist philosophy, driving the next thing on borrowed money, maybe fueling um, some instant gratification as well. You know, we can, we can get stuff and we can have it. So there are, there are lots of pressures. I don't know how... how I, there may be other pressures that, that you feel, but how many people here identify with some of the things I've said? You know, that could be an issue for me. 
So we're, we're, we're all the same, aren't we? We're, we? We are living in a material world and we can let the material world be the dominant framework of how we want to do life. And, and actually, the, the little parable finishes with a kicker line. Yeah, this is what it would be for, for people who are not rich towards God. And it's, actually, I think the parable doesn't even decry having possessions for its own sake. In some ways, the farmer in the story is quite shrewd, isn't he? Kind of thinking, oh, how do I kind of um, maximize the, the windfall I've got of this abundant crop? But the big challenge there is not being rich towards God. There's something about having stuff that means that we can learn to rely on, depend on those things, and neglect a spiritual life, which ultimately is what we're going to be left with. I'm going to be 65 next birthday, and um, I kind of think I've lived three quarters of my life. And I, I need to have an appetite for the things that are eternal rather than things that are temporary. And I, at the moment, I'm quite conscious of that in my life. I'm kind of walking around appreciating lots of things about the world that I live in, about the beauty of nature, about stuff that I have, and about all kinds of things. But thinking, actually, I need to have an appetite for God. I need to have an appetite for Jesus. I need to have an appetite for spiritual things. And how is my spiritual appetite compared with my appetite for everything else? And a bit of self-evaluation at the moment about that. And I think that the, the problems of, um, if you like, greed or acquisitiveness are some of these. We can live by fear, not by faith and trust. And I don't think God wants us to live out of fear. It's not that we shouldn't be wise and shrewd and good stewards of what we have. But ultimately, do we trust God for our future? And ultimately, the old adage, we brought nothing to the world, we can take nothing out of it. Where's our trust in God? And you know that the, the rhythm that the Old Testament people of God had in Israel was that one year in seven, we're going to release people from debt, we're going to depend on what the land grows rather than really milking it for all it's got. That jubilee year, that, that, that big kind of um, restoration of equity, that real release of debt, the Jubilee year. It was built into the fabric of the life of the people of God, which was something that was going to kind of reorder society and um, undermine, if you like, some of that growing gap between rich and poor. You know, the, the, it's, it's really extraordinary wisdom where uh, you know, the Bible legislates people says, actually, be willing to lend to people, even though you know in a few years' time you're going to have to make it all, <laughs> all even again. There's something about the the rich and poor gap that is being subverted by the teaching of the Old Testament. And something that is very, very hard for society to put into practice because we, we don't want to lose what we've got. You know, this incredible housing market that makes it really hard for people to enter it. But those of us with property don't really want the price of houses to fall because we'll be losing our equity, won't we? And yet maybe it'd be a good thing if it did, just to make a more equitable society. But fear is a big deal, I think. I think second of all, blind spots. We can accumulate more than we need because we don't realize how little other people have. And accumulation at the expense of others is one of the problems of our world. And we can just think, oh, I'm living a fairly modest lifestyle, really. 
And it's again the comparison trap. But our blind bodies, there are people who have nothing compared with what we have. I spent um, three years running Bristol's Methodist Centre, which was a shopfront project, really trying to work with people in the inner city. And it exposed me to a kind of a layer of the onion, <laughs> a layer of Bristol life that I wasn't really exposed to. And I would regularly meet people who everything they had, they carried in plastic bags. Have people to come and stay with me who, who marveled at what I had, and I thought I lived simply, you know? The fact I had a vehicle was a big deal. And the, the, the comparison that, that we have, we, we need to kind of be familiar with people whose lifestyle is different to ourselves. And that will help us actually be grateful for what we do have. Compared with those who have nothing, what we have is amazing. You, may, you might be kind of living in, in, in your house and think, oh, it'd be great to have a bigger house. Or my, my friends who I was at college with have got this amazing lifestyle. They've got this it's great to spend time with people who are homeless or who are you know, living in a hotel room because they have not got secure housing and think, oh, I'm really grateful for what I've got. Gratitude undermines greed. I think um, envy maybe has the demonic roots. And you know, the Apostle Paul is quite strong on envy. Don't covet. And uh, envy is a, a kind of, it's a nasty word, isn't it? We, we can make other words seem more palatable. Even, oh, I'm really jealous of you, can, can feel, we, we can make it, we can cutify some words. I think the, the people use the word jello. <laughs> Have you come across the word? Oh, I'm jello of you. Um, it, to kind of make something kind of acceptable, that's actually quite an unpleasant impulse. That, that envy that wants to have what other people have. So I, I guess for me, um, my story is I'm having to deal with the lust of the eye. What I see, what I want. Really, I'm a nightmare if I'm put in a shop because <laughs> I will see stuff. And think, oh, I quite like that. And the trouble is I can shop from the comfort of my own home on my computer. How many people get kind of subscribed to kind of outlets who will advertise, they'll give you a notification when they've got a sale on? Anyone do that? I do that. And I don't actually need stuff, but a sale, oh, I've got, because I love a bargain. Anyone else love a bargain? I love this, I've got this in the fat face sale. I love the fat face sale. Anyone with me there? So I spend a lot of time, if I'm shopping, suddenly discovering things that I really would like a need that I never knew I needed until I was in the shop. <laughs> so I think the lust of the eye, as the Bible puts it, let's be careful about uh, what we see. Second thing for me, in my life, honestly, um, fear of poverty for myself and my family has been an issue. And I think when, we, when, when I was young, um, me and Tina decided we weren't going to buy a house we, we, you know, we got married in 1980. Honestly, houses were quite cheap then. But a lot of our friends were buying houses and their lives were getting really consumed in that. And we were very kind of ambitious for spiritual things, for the kingdom of God. And, and we, didn't, we didn't want to be owned by a house. So we thought, we're not going to own a house, we'll rent. You know? And looking back, that was a really naive decision. But... In an extraordinary way, God's really honoured it. And we've had the privilege of, of, of renting... You know, 
up until this point, I've never lived in a property that I own. Um, we've always lived in, in rented accommodation. And actually, of course, for the last 27 years, we've been renting in a very particular way. Um, but um, honestly, though I have at times been quite afraid for my future, I've also known the provision of God. And my story isn't everybody's story. But um, um, probably about 20 years ago, um, I was in, in a, a, a little staff meeting at Woodlands down at the crypt, and um, I shared a little bit with Pam Scott Cook and Nigel and Louise Reed, who used to lead this church, who were um, at that meeting, about oh, how, how anxious I was about money, you know, and um, for me and the family. And then we went into the staff meeting. We had a visiting speaker, a chap called Ken McGreevy, who's from London, from a church in London. And he was going to minister to us as a team. So he did a Bible study. Then he prayed for everybody in the team. He prayed prophetically for everybody. When he came to me, he said, God is going to release material blessing for you and your children, for you, you your family. And honestly, from that moment on, resources started coming into my family. And um, we've been fine. And actually, we've just been able to buy a little house. So when we move out of community, we've got a little house. And a big part of that was because of other people's generosity, the provision of God through people to help us to do that. And I, I, my, my fear of poverty has been undermined by both the grace of God and the love of community. Maybe the grace of God acting through people to bless me. And, and I hope, actually, that that could be our story as a church, that our need and our greed are undermined by being in community. And that was the way the early church worked, wasn't it? There were no needy ones among them because people sold what they had and gave to one another. I think, as I've said, I've lived with the tension between my values and Tina's values. And I've actually learned from her that actually I don't need stuff as much as I can. And there could be a real joy in living more simply and having less clutter and having a sense of space. I've experienced living community and what that means to subvert my desire to own and have stuff. And the fact that in community, we, we, you know, my, my, my vehicle, my car, there's a lot of status around what you drive, isn't there? So what I drive is um, a two-seater Bilingo white van. It's a little white van which I was given by somebody. And um, it's a bit inconvenient just having two seats. But honestly, if I need transport, I'll ask someone in my house and they'll say, yeah, borrow my car. And um, that's how it goes. It's great. It subverts that desire to kind of have the wealth and the status. But as I was saying early on, that aging and renunciation, how am I going to cultivate that appetite for heaven? A couple of quotes. The world says you have needs. Satisfy them. You have as much right as the rich and the mighty. Don't hesitate to satisfy your needs. Indeed, expand your needs and, and demand more. That is the worldly doctrine of today. And they believe this is freedom. The result for the rich is isolation and suicide. For the poor, envy and murder. Those are the words of Dostoevsky, writing in The Brothers Karamazov. And here's uh, Henry Thoreau. What's the use of a house if you haven't got a tolerable planet to put it on? That's so relevant for our day, isn't it, actually? There are desire to have stuff ultimately is the finite resource of the planet is being affected. And we're going to have to learn 
to live simply so that others can simply live. That is not a future issue. That is very much a current issue. And John Wesley, he says this, Money is an excellent gift of God, answering the noblest ends. In the hands of his children, it's food for the hungry, drink for the thirsty, arraignment for the naked. It gives to the traveler and the stranger where to lay his head. Earn all you can, save all you can, and give all you can are the three basic points of John Wesley's life. Again, I said I, I used to work for the Methodist Church, and we had a little charity in the Methodist Church. that I used to meet in John Wesley's chapel. We'd, we'd have a charity, it's called The Strangest Friend. If you're going to meet people with the gospel, you need to provide for their needs. So we'd have money to give away. It was so antiquated, it was in pounds, shillings and pence, I think, the little kind of... <laughs> but um, that was something that was deep in, in Wesley's life. Money's not a bad thing. But as the book of Proverbs says, he lends to the poor, gives to God. God counts it as being rich towards him if we're generous with our money. And he counts it as poor towards him, actually, if we make ourselves the idol of our wealth. We acquire stuff for me rather than to live in that communal and in that generous way. So, as I come into land, thinking about slowing down and simplicity, actually, the drive to have more stuff, the drive to improve our standard of living... It's not just bad for our spiritual health. It can be a great source of anxiety and pressure in life. And if we can really learn to be content with what we have, then it gives space for God to speak into our spirits, to remind ourselves that he's the one ultimately where every good thing comes from. And that where we are thankful for what he provides, whether it's through the work of our hands through the kindness of others, or through sometimes those kind of supernatural um, resources that come our way. He's good all the time. So I'm going to pray. Father God, I want to thank you so much that um, you are generous and that the culture of the kingdom of God, the culture of the kingdom of heaven is a generous culture. And Lord, today we want to identify in ourselves things that are not kingdom things, things that are fearful and acquisitive, that mean that we'll want to accumulate and in the process maybe hurt other people, hurt ourselves or hurt you. As we come to take communion, Lord God, we remember a God who didn't hold anything back from us but was rich in mercy and gave us Jesus. And as we receive this, um, this meal today, we want to pray that you would come and give us again today our daily bread and make us content with who you are and what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.